0: Just want to let you know that the links for everything are down below to my guest and to the Serpents and Doves website. I want to encourage everybody to check those out. Also, if you can, remember to subscribe, to like, and to share the videos. And if you feel led to help support the work that I'm doing to come alongside it, whether with a single or a monthly recurring donation, you can do so by clicking in the link below And I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get to it. What is going on, everybody? All right. So this is Numero Dos, uh, Part Two, with uh, our lovely friend John right here, our brother. I'm holding you up. That looks pretty cool. I just, I I know I'm so childish. Just never gets old. (laughs) Sorry, it is what it is. That's fine. I'll bring us both here. Um, so we had a great first session. We're doing number two. We're gonna we're gonna crank through this one, family, in the interest of time because there's so much to talk about. Like we said in part one, uh, all these things have a shelf life. And I love the way that you put it, John. You said this age, uh, right, has a shelf life. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more. It does. So um thanks for coming on uh for part how do you say it part dukes do how do you say that (laughs) do yeah right i don't know have you been to france
1: by the way no i've not you don't want to go now it's sort of like i (laughs) won't go to san francisco (laughs) again i don't think i'll go to france
0: yeah so um it's crazy now that totally total side note before we get started one thing i found interesting so they're having all these crazy riots in france and uh And the Netherlands and Belgium. Exactly. So we can go around the world and they're using, what are those things called Roman candles that they launch, right? Okay. So 4th of July, Minneapolis, you had a bunch of Somali
1: teens. I don't know if you saw that too. That's right. Uh, Yeah. So back in the, I don't know when it happened in the nineties, there was a lot of immigration from Somalia of a certain religion orientation yep. Yep. to Minneapolis-St. Paul, probably at that time in the range of 120,000 people. Yep. I remember we flew through Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, probably was 20 years ago. And Pam said, look, we were like in the food court. And it was like, everybody here working in the airport is a Muslim." Yeah. what's That was 20 years, this is after 9-11. In Columbus, we had about half that amount, but it we probably have 120,000 Somalians now in Columbus. They live in a neighborhood. They have their own mosque and everything. And it was about five or six years ago, I was going to a seminar. I pull in the parking spot. It was a building I used to work in. And there's a guy walking down the street with a balacava on with the face mask up. You can yep. only see his eyes. It was sixty degrees, sixty-two degrees in December, kind of unusual. And he had a T shirt on and he looked like a linebacker from Ohio State. He was about yeah. six foot tall, about two twenty five, and barrel chested, and he's taken pictures of all the buildings. This is one block from the state house. So I remember I took you a...
0: said that in one of your you said that in one of your updates. Yeah,
1: that was back. Yep. Boy, that was well, I tell you what, I had just signed up for a concealed carry cap class. Yeah. Because PM had said I always said, we'll do it when you're ready. And she said, I'm ready. Yeah. So I just signed up for the class I went over to the meeting and I saw this. And maybe I was thinking about it. I sent it to the it made it all the way to the, you know, homeland security people in DC. I don't know whatever happened to it. But why are you taking pictures why are you wearing a mask like this on yeah. a sixty two degree day? <clears throat> and the cops came over and I think I talked to an FBI guy about it and saw it. but that was in downtown columbus yep yep well in, surprisingly enough
0: uh we went to um the the church i spoke at in new mexico um when we made our leg from orange county into phoenix and we had to just hang out there for about an hour and a half to wait for our flight into new mexico it really surprised me the amount of burkas and muslims mm-hmm. at phoenix a ton And
1: uh, it's pretty common here, um, you know, and look, this is so let's let's just talk about France, because we're going to talk about Israel, but there's they're connected. Yeah. And so um, Curtis Bowers, uh, Trevor Loud and other have done this thing on the red green axis. Yep. Red is communism, leftism, socialism, green is Islam. Yeah. And that they seem to be united for a time. And so I think they're sort of playing off of each other. And the question is, who's going to take control in the end? That, you know, the the left will use the green part for chaos so they can put more government control in. This is what I think we're seeing happen. And when, when it comes, Pablo, you see what happened with the pandemic. Yep. People are begging for control. Please right. require people to act a certain way. So people in France are begging for the government to do something and to take put more controls on to stop what's going on there it's just it's yeah. very interesting how this is is this is coming about
0: so well the the gog the gog uh Magog Alliance seems to be a red green alliance
1: it does right yeah and look I I know people will the emails all go to Pablo please uh yeah
0: but look yes. if you and then i at, have a forwarding address too it just kind of does the circle oh, okay
1: so the uh, uh we always said at FBC we have a thing called the department of corrections um <laughs> but the four horses are white red black black green yeah what what country's flags have those colors White. Was Islamic yeah. all the Islamic Red. countries have the one yeah. or two or all of those colors in their flags. And so is there some connection between them and the four horsemen? I I don't know. I'm just saying is don't discount that as a possibility as we move down this. And I just I got a great email from somebody today who's good thinker, good solid guy. He said, Hey, what do you think about this? And you know, he's like you know, are the, are the four horsemen, do they have to be within the 70th week? And the first one we always say is the Antichrist. Well, maybe it's an Antichrist spirit. And you know what? I, I think the guy's thinking through it. I like the way he's thinking through it. I, I don't know. Okay. We'll know. You, want when any, it you
0: know what? You park, uh, you open this big can of worms right now with, <laughs> with that thought. No. It, and I think it's great because some people might be surprised to think, to know that. I don't necessarily believe that they have to be at least the first four yeah the first four seals don't necessarily have to be within the 70th week of Daniel. Some people well, are going to be blown away with what I just well, said. I, th-
1: I think our one of our pastor friends that we both talk with a lot. He's yeah. sort of in that kind of Yep. Yep. camp as well. And so look, let's just see how this all plays out. That's what I'm totally. trying to say is. Yeah. And so I, the guy said, I said, you know, look, go ahead and post it. You know, you'll get you'll get a lot of bricks from all the people who think they've got it all figured out. Yep. But we've all thought we had a lot figured out, and then we all missed the last three years <laughs> in large part. <laughs>
0: yeah. But you so, know what? Everybody's kind of gone back. Uh, we missed it. Everybody's like, yeah, wow, totally, I agree. And now everybody's dug their heels in again. Well, not everybody, but I'll be honest with you, the pushback that I know you get. I get, and so many other uh, um, teachers get, uh, and um, please, I want to make this disclaimer. I am by no way putting myself at the level of John Haller, Pastor Tom, Pastor Brandon, you know, Pete, any of those guys. I am not. I'm just saying that, you know what, within the circle, I'm sure there's a lot of brick throwing from the outside in. Just because you might say something and a lot of people will go, whoa, you just totally ruffled my feathers. You rocked my world. No, no. I'm going to plug my ears. That can't be so. And that's not the way that we're to approach, you know, Scripture. So it, don't be mean. Don't so be, I always
1: know. say when we open a can of worms like this, maybe... Uh brother Pete can come along and sort of do a graph about it or a graphic about it or something. Or <laughs> yeah, he's got turn it. Turn we got to get a series on. Of 18 articles.
0: <laughs> oh man, we got to get Pete on man. Got Pete. Um, so yeah, no, I totally agree. Way, anyway, I, so I don't agree you were,
1: with Pete. There's things we really disagree I get on, to. but yep. he's a friend, man. He's a brother. Yep. I love the guy. We talk on the phone every now and then. Yeah. A little while now, but, you know, you might find this hard to believe. He calls up, and we can talk a couple hours on the phone.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, you know? I, wow. Really, you could talk for two hours? Yeah, it's kind of hard. <laughs> I haven't overcome
1: that innate shyness that I was born with. But uh. right,
0: yeah. No, I love it. Look, and I've said this before. Uh, again, I just had Ellie Marzuli on, and, and I had believe it or not, I li- I had to put a disclaimer on the front of my video that said, uh, the views and, you know, thoughts, yeah. uh, opinions, blah, blah, blah. I well, I had to take the video down. I had to edit a part out because it was like, uh, it was crazy. It was a firestorm. And I always tell people, listen, just cause I have somebody on doesn't necessarily mean I agree with everything. Look, John, you and I have had a discussion. That doesn't mean we see eye to eye on everything. We see eye to eye on quite a lot. But at the end of the day, probably, right. You know, but at the end of the day, you're never going to find somebody who you agree with a hundred percent. I don't even care if it's your wife or your husband. Don't give me that. Come on. So, yeah, so let's, let's be I'll more be doing gracious. i a conference
1: in, in July 21st and 22nd with Brandon Holdhouse. And yeah. Oh, I think Billy Crone and uh, Scott Townsend and, uh, I don't know if Dennis Swick is, uh, Don Perkins, Tom Hughes, me at San Marcos. So for our times you can get that, you can register. Yeah. I think there's still places, places to attend in person, but there's also a live stream that you can well, sign Tom, up for at yeah. a relatively no, nominal cost.
0: T- Tom and, asked me to speak there and I said, no, I'll, I'll give my place to Billy Crone cause I know that, you know, he doesn't. So, so I let Billy <laughs> Crone take my place.
1: <laughs> I think we're going to present Billy with a, uh, <laughs> A, a, fried chicken bucket? <laughs> a, a, no, a, a, a Costco chicken uh, <laughs> that's as great. a reward for that's his honorarium. I think we'll see how that goes. Oh, give so certificates to Kentucky Fried there. Chicken. But, but so these things, this thing happen quickly, and so I always say you know you got to be able to pivot, and um, so I sort of put my things, how I think it's going to work I sort of put them in buckets. So like final Babylon, I've got this bucket. So I kind of put my evidence in that. And I got this bucket, you know, like a Saudi Arabian type thing. I got literal Babylon bucket and we'll see how it puts out. And look, I tried cases for a long time. And I think the thing that we need to avoid is like sometimes we go back and people read the church fathers and what they see the church fathers saying is everything that agrees with them. But they sort of can't see the stuff where the church fathers don't agree with them. And so you got to be real careful, because as we were putting cases together, uh, it was very common thing for young lawyers to do that everything, all the evidence that we get through discovery from other the other side and everything, everything proves our case. And that's not the case. There's yeah. some really bad stuff in there, and you can't say that that proves your case. And you're going to get you're going to get really blown up in court if you do that. So I think it's sort of this it's a lesson that we need to apply maybe somewhat in the prophecy community that we're not going to uh, know everything that that's yeah. going on.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, uh, we're going to jump into this issue now. I'm sure some know about this, some don't about what's happening with. Israel, this whole counter-terrorism thing in the area of Janine, and um, it is Janine, right? Uh, Janine, that's right. Yeah, Janine. So what I want to do is I want to turn it over to you, because I'll be honest with you, you know this inside out, and you you really could could bring us up to date as to really exactly why this happened, because the world, anytime Israel does something like this, it's, it's always Israel's fault, right? They're the aggressors. Uh, right. There, I mean, this is this is just the same same thing repeated over and over that we've seen over decades now, and so um, because you have people like this gal right here, let me put this up, um, who um, I believe she is in the Netherlands. The the uh, is she the PM? I'm not sure. Um, Huitveldt. Okay. Um but she came out and expressed her solidarity for th- her Palestinian yeah, prime minister, right? Palestinian counterpart Dr. Riyad Malki. Norway, there we go, Norwegian. <laughs> I expressed Norway's solidarity with the people in Janine. I condemned the high level of violence and all attacks against civilians and in any military measure must comply with international law, the cycle of violence must end. I love it because when it comes to complying with international law, as long as other people are doing the wrong thing, it's okay. But as soon as Israel tries to defend itself, then we're in this pickle. So I'm going to just turn it over to you, and I'd love to get your take on what's going on here.
1: Yeah, so I, uh, over the past year and a half, I got to know... Um, a founder of a group called the Israeli Defense and Security Forum, uh, retired br- uh, Brigadier General, uh, Amir Avivi was the founder of that, and they have about 3,000 former IDF and Mossad people in that group. And um, um, one of Amir's uh, areas was the Arab areas of Israel. So uh, just so you know, there's a... Uh, by the way, Google has come up with a great uh, uh, 3D map thing. You know, you just hit command and you can turn it into a 3D in the satellite view pretty easily. So you can kind of get an idea where these things are. So Janine is in northern Samaria. Uh, that would be also called the northern West Bank. So the West Bank is it's a made up term. It never really existed till the 60s. The Palestinians never really existed till the 60s. They were actually yeah. made up by the Russians, the KGB, yep. because it was a it was a propaganda thing that was allowed to kind of get Arab support for Russia, uh, the Soviet Union. So this is, this is a propaganda war. It started in 1964. And I think before 1964, nobody knew that they were a Palestinian. They were an Arab. And so the head of the Palestinian uh group was the Yasser Arafat who was from Egypt
0: yeah he's an Egyptian
1: right now he may have been a nephew of the of the person who was known as the Waqf um um the Hajim al-Husseini who was appointed by the British as the most important Islamic person in Israel Jerusalem uh when the Ottoman Empire filed uh, Failed, fell apart, the British appointed him. He did not like Jews. He started a lot of almost pogroms against the Jews in Israel, and he went to Germany during World War II with his friend, the Fuhrer, to kind of come up with a final solution. Yep. So after the war, after you know, 1948, Israel declared independence. There was immediately a war Jordan took over parts of Israel that later became known as the West Bank um, and included the biblical areas of Judea and Samaria. This is the biblical heartland. Yeah, Uh, this is where you would go. So when we were there six years ago, we went to a number of biblical sites. Unfortunately, most people never get to go to these because of the security situation. I hope to maybe do a tour next year. And one of my goals would be to sort of offer the uh, Biblical Heartland option. Uh, so number of cities there. Shiloh, that's where the tabernacle stood for almost 400 years. You know, Samuel heard the voice of God there. Um, the, uh, so that's, that's up in the, the Central Highlands. And it's interesting when you drive through the Central Highlands, Pablo, every hillside i don't know if you've been to israel or not no but every hillside up through the central highlands for like 30 40 miles is terraced for farming from top to bottom every Mm -hmm. hillside it's yeah it's shocking it's it just shocked me i could not and i know that joel kramer who was our guide for that part of our trip in uh, 2017 he um he said, you seem to be fixated on this. I said, because I'm shocked. Yeah. So that became known as the West Bank, but it's the biblical heartland of Judea and Samaria. So in Samaria, which is north of Jerusalem, so Ramallah, which is the, quote, Palestinian capital, that's in Samaria, and it goes up north. There's actually a town called Samaria that was one of the, that's where uh, Ahab, Omri and Ahab established the seat of the Northern Kingdom. You can go see their graves there today. There's and there's actually a big uh, temple to Augustus that up there, the re, the ruins of it that Herod built to Augustus, yeah. and very well, interesting.
0: That was, wasn't that some of the beef too with the Jews and the Samaritans? Was uh, where where it was established up in Samaria the temple and the worship
1: that? They well, that was a temple in. to Augustus, and so the Samaritans. They were um, – I'm trying to – I'm probably going to get my history wrong, but I think this is sort of a truncated history.
0: It's okay. I get everything wrong a lot. They were
1: They were left <laughs> – they stayed there after the the Jews were exported to Babylon for 70 years, and they intermarried. Yeah. So when the Jews came back, it was like they were sort of considered half-breed. So there was a big tension. Right. So they established a temple on Mount Gerizim, uh, which is on – Uh, in the valley below, there's two mountains. There's Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans established their seat, and the Mount Ebal, which is on the other side of the city in the between, was called Shechem. And that's where Jacob's well was. That's where Jacob met the woman at the well. I mean, Jesus met the woman at the well. And remember, they had that conversation. She said, well, you worship in your mountain and in Jerusalem, but we worship in our mountain. And literally when you're sitting there, you can look up and you can see the ruins of the temple up there on top of Mount Gerizim. It's also where when Joshua came into the land, he divided the people of Israel, put half on Mount Ebal, half on Mount Gerizim. On Mount Gerizim, they shouted the blessings that would occur to Israel if they kept the law and followed the instructions of God. And on Mount Ebal, they shouted the curses. What would happen to them? And, and it wasn't like there were twenty people here and twenty people here. There's probably sure. a million at least on each mount. Sure. And Shechem's down in the middle, and this is this got to be kind of intimidating to the to the locals, to the Canaanites that live there. In fact, there's letters that the king of Shechem around that time, the time of the conquest when Joshua came in, <coughs> wrote letters to the Pharaoh down in Egypt and they're called the Armana letters, A-R-M-A-N-A, Armana letters. You can look them up on, and you can see pictures of them on the internet, and they're actually located in the British Museum in London. And there's, by the way, it's a great, if, if you want a lot of biblical history, go to the British Museum. Yeah. And, and there's a book called The Bible and the British Museum, and because there's all these Assyrian relief things from Nineveh and all this thing that they've, now there's a big controversy if they're going to have to give them back. So if you want to see them, Go get me to, to London as quickly as possible. In fact, when we were in London, that was one of the things I wanted to see. I wanted to see the Sennacherib cylinder, and I wanted to see the Armana letters. And they're they're like rocks that would fit in the palm of your hand. They're not that. They're mm-hmm. letters. They're cuneiform. And I get to the gallery and it's closed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so bummer. I I got a guard. He came over and I said. I want to see those. He goes, well, the gallery's closed because we had people who didn't show up today. I'm like, this may be the only day of my life I'm ever in the British Museum. I really want to see those. And I kind of was joking with him. I said, you know, if I dropped a 20 or 50 pound note on the floor and when you picked it up, you kind of knocked <laughs> the thing off and you went to Starbucks to get down to the coffee shop to get some <laughs> coffee, you know, and you accidentally dropped it. He goes, that's very clever, sir. But you know, I can't do that. So eventually he came back. I was still standing there a few minutes later. He says, listen, it'll be open around 2 p.m. Come back at 2. So we came back, and then I got to see him. And the letters were from the king of Shechem, which was mm-hmm. in this valley. And it said, very interesting confirmation of the biblical narrative. Help me. We're being overrun by these Haparu people that are coming mm-hmm. into the land. The Hebrew, Haparu Hebrew yep. people. Yep. So very important biblical thing. So this happened in Shechem, and now Shechem is located within the city of Nablus. A lot of people don't go there. So when we went to Nablus, Joel took us into the, uh, uh, we went through a checkpoint. And as we drove through the checkpoint, Joel says, you know, sometimes it's easier to get through the checkpoint than back out. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think of it. Yeah, and there had been riots on the streets the day before because a settler had killed somebody. Uh, to a day or two before, uh, he was being attacked by rocks. When you when you hear that, oh, we're just throwing rocks at Jewish cars. These are not rocks; these are stones that will kill yeah. you if they hit you in the head. And so he felt the settler pulled a gun and shot and killed two Palestinians. And now they have riots or burning tires and everything. So as we're driving yeah. in, we see burned vehicles. We see where they were burning tires and everything. So we drive down. It was Friday morning. So it's mosque. And you can hear sort of this. It's broadcast all over town on loudspeakers. And it's not, I don't speak Arabic, but sure. you're pretty sure listening to it that it's not, Love your neighbor as yourself was the <laughs> message that was being given right. so we went to Shechem there's there's a stone there, at Shechem that's without a doubt the stand the stone that Joshua erected that's talked about at the end of Joshua. Joshua erected a stone in the temple area of Shechem <clears throat> and you can go touch that stone today at least what's left of it and uh, it's about seven feet eight feet tall wow. so. And then, you know, you've got the ruins of the temple up on Mount Gerizim. Now you got Joshua's altar that they've uncovered on Mount Ebal. Aaron Lipkin's on a tour in America right now, talking a lot about that. You might look at his website uh, to see if you can hook. I think he's in, he was complaining about the humidity in Houston. Um, <laughs> that it was like the most humid place he'd ever been, which I would agree with. And, uh, yeah. but, um, He's he's sort of been, you know, one of the big pushers of the Joshua altar. Uh, I think there's no doubt that this is the, usher, the altar that Joshua erected on Mount Ebal, which, interesting, the altar was erected on the Mountain of the Curses. And then Scott Stripling and some other groups, biblical research associates or something like that, um, they found a, from a sifting project, stuff that had been discarded, they went through and they found this, little tablet that was talking about curse and Yahweh and curse. Wow. And so that, that's pretty much been confirmed. That's just happened within the last year hmm. that that's really been found and confirmed. So, yeah, but Nablus itself, when you're driving into Nablus and I, am only mentioning this because Janine is a little bit further North in Samaria than Nablus, but Nablus is like every square in town. Uh, you know, intersection is a mart named after a martyr, usually someone who was a suicide bomber who went down and they, they came from Nablus. They came from there's a, quote, refugee camp there called Balata, uh, Balata, right next to the At Shechem. And the ancient city. Um, and it's it's these people have been kept in these refugee camps for 70 years. Yeah. At, well, you know, at the time we were there, it was 69 years. Now it's we're 75 years. And they're they've sort of um, like refugee status from the 48 war is something you can yep. inherit. it. Um, it's. And so there's this tremendous. And so the uh, now it's pretty clear. Uh, you can get Caroline Glick and Melanie Phillips read some of their articles that they've uh, written recently, uh, listened to some of the talks that Amir VV has done there on YouTube for IDSF that they there's a lot of funding by Iran to fund terror groups and cells in these areas. Nablus has been the worst. Hebron has a pretty good contingent as well. I think Jericho as well. But probably the, the strongest one in current times is Janine. And, <coughs> and they have these terror cells. <laughs> Over the past few months, there have been like 50 terror attacks throughout Israel that have been carried out by people from these terror cells in Janine. Um, it's a it's a very fluid situation. And eventually Israel, uh, I don't know who coined the term. The first person I heard use it was Caroline Glick when she talked about every now and then we got to go in and clean up the mess in Gaza. She calls it mowing the lawn in Gaza. Yeah. You go mow the lawn, then you got to mow the lawn again yep and there's there's a bit of controversy as to how this should be dealt with uh when i was at the christian media summit in december i did not get i really regret i did not go over and talk to him because i got talking to other people but daniel pipes was there daniel pipes is long he and his father both long been middle east analysts i think they live in jerusalem well daniel pipes father i'm pretty sure has passed away now Daniel himself is probably in the 70s, and he was there, and and Daniel has written is that the reason Israel has a problem with the Palestinian issue is they didn't annihilate the enemy in any of the wars. They tried to achieve peace, and then they were forced to try to achieve peace with giving land away. One of the biggest examples was, I mentioned in the last podcast, Bill Clinton meeting with the Pope.
0: Yep, which I showed a picture of.
1: Right, and, and Bill Clinton was a big pusher. A big pusher of peace with Yasser Arafat yep. and Ehud Barak, who's now, by the way, the lefty who's leading a lot of these protests that are going that are really, I think, tearing apart Israeli society. It's yeah. it's really reached a tipping point.
0: Wow, that sounds a lot like us.
1: Yeah, it's there's a lot of parallels that you can draw between the U.S. and Israel, and yep. I don't know which follows which, and I'm not saying there's a A religious thing. I'm just saying this. It's just a fact. Is what's happening, weaponization of the justice system. They're trying to do judicial reform in Israel, which I think is needed, and they essentially have uh, devolved into anarchy. It's interesting. I just so they Israel finally said enough is enough, Um, but they don't go in and they do a very surgical operation. So they sent about a thousand soldiers in. They actually had a couple weeks ago. I think around June 19th, there was a, a troop carrier that was coming in to Janine, and it got hit by an IED that had been left on the road. And so when that when that started, there was sort of a cascading series of events, and eventually you knew that Israel is going to send their troops in who've been trained in urban warfare. I actually was at the Urban Warfare Training Center down near Gaza when we were there. So they, they trained for these things. Yeah. And they went in and they did a, a very what I would consider to be a surgical strike. <clears throat> they took out eight terrorists. And there were some people injured and one Israeli soldier was killed. And they started to withdraw. That led to a lot of um, the people who don't like Israel went crazy. Oh, look, Israel is killing children that happened on the BBC uh, on a show in the BBC. You can find it online. Uh, the reporter was interviewing Naftali Bennett, who was the prime minister just before Netanyahu. Well, yep. I, I think it back; he was prime minister for a while. Then I think Lapid was prime minister for a short while.
0: It was like that shared, shared prime. Yeah. It was like,
1: uh, you know, baby prime minister one and baby prime minister yep. two or something like yep. that. So, and after Ali Benne, he had the support of at least six seats. Uh, he had six seats of his party had taken in the hundred and twenty member Knesset. So he had overwhelming support, right? To be the prime minister. But he served for time. But look, he's, he's pro Israel. Okay, whether you agree with everything that he's done or whether he's hurt himself politically by the things that the compromises he made over the last few years. Sure. He's a good defender of Israel. And the person said, Well, you just you just support the killing of children. What are you talking about? So, a few I don't know, two or three of the terrorists who were killed were like 16, 17, 15, 16, 17. Yeah. And Neftali Bennett made the point watch the video. I mean, he tore the lady apart. It's like, yeah, it's a 17 year old guy with a gun coming after you and your family. You consider that a child? Is is it the terrorism part more important than the child part? Well, they're a child under the international law. You know, everybody always cites, yeah. International law is sort of like anybody can cite international law supporting our position. You know, it's, it's very malleable. Yep. Uh, and then the reason is because nobody's going to follow international law anyway. It's just an argument you make to support your stupid positions. Yeah. So Naftali Bennett did a very good job. By the way, the uh, BBC came out and apologized for what the reporter had done. Right, and then of course, uh, Ilan Omar and the, of uh, the squad yeah. here. They always the say, squad. "Oh, it's just it, it's there goes the Israel and the Jews controlling what people think in the UK. They're the UK is beholden to them." Um, and I don't know if Ilan Omar has addressed that particular thing specifically, but the BBC reporter deleted her Twitter account. Oh, wow. uh, and but it still stands. I mean, I. Now, the other thing that I just read was a tweet from somebody. I get a lot of Hebrew tweets because of <laughs> people that I follow. And they somebody in the know, uh, it might have been one of the OSNIT, OSINT accounts, open source intelligence accounts that yeah. really I think are pretty good. I mean, I get a lot of my news that I think I can trust from Twitter, <laughs> in these accounts. (laughs) Now they're not always true. You got to kind of take them with a grain of salt, but I really trust Twitter and social media to give me more information than some of these other people. do That's truthful. So anyway, they went in, they did the surgical strike just like they've done a novelist and that type of thing. And, uh, they're not good places. Um, you know, breeding grounds, right? Yeah, there was a ramming attack with a vehicle. It was interesting. When we left Nablus, we come up to the checkpoint, and there's about 20 cars there driven by Palestinian guys, and we have to stop. So we kind of drove up alongside them, and then Joel got out. They had their guns pointed at us, the Israeli soldiers. And Joel went up and talked to him, took our passports up, and said, you know, "We're, we're leaving. Why were you here? Well, we went to Shechem. And... The guy who was leading the squad was an Orthodox surgeon, and he got a, a Orthodox uh, Jew, and he got a little bit um, emotional. Like, wow, you went to Shechem. You know, I've lived yeah. in... I'm, I'm Israeli. I'm Jewish. I was born here. I've not been allowed to go there because of where it mm. is. Yeah. And it's like a mile and a half away. Yeah. Which is like... This is like a scandal to me. Right. Yep. It's insane. But he says, well, you really... He shouldn't be a novice because it's not safe. It's like, yeah, that's why we're trying to leave, you know? Yeah, exactly. Can we go? <laughs> and I don't even know. I, there might be a hotel there, maybe one hotel in this town. And it's it's a fairly good-sized town. And then they got this refugee camp, which has been there forever. Well, there's a refugee camp in Janine as well. And same thing. This is, like, where the terror, it's, it's not great conditions to live in. Yep they're sort of forced to live there. And I had a conversation with a Palestinian doctor from Gaza. He was speaking at the Christ at the checkpoint conference in Oklahoma in 2017. Is that and the I, one
0: Hank Hanegraaff puts on? Or well, he's spoken, he's, there? He's,
1: he's spoken at it.
0: And that was, uh,
1: also Bill Hybels wife
0: spoke. There yeah. Too, Len right? Heibel's. And then, yeah.
1: um, they came and did one in America. So I went yeah. to it and, uh, uh, you know, Rick Wiles, he's been over there yep. to support the poor Palestinians, the true news and that type of thing. And, yep. and you see, the when they did this operation, there's I have friends who follow a lot of like rumble channels and that type of thing. And some of these people came out like, oh, look at what Israel's doing to these poor Palestinians. Yep. And so I'm like, they're they're Jew haters, you just gotta get rid of them. Don't or use put the big filter on if you're gonna listen to them. Because every now yeah. and then they get stuff right. But it's pretty, <coughs> there's one channel I just said, I'm done with it. I just, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. Um, because it's just, they're, they're silly. They're not honest discussers of the topic that's, of sure. what's going on. So Israel does this. And so we, anyway, we negotiate our exit from Nablus um, because it's, it's not a great area. There's, Every square, as I said, is a martyr square. And it's, I think it's similar to Janine. Every, they, they laud this. And so when there's a car ramming attack, oh, I know what it was. When we were trying to get at the checkpoint yeah. while Joel's talking to the soldiers, the Palestinian guys are all going to me, hey, just get your car, take your car up there and ram those soldiers. Just ram them. And I kind of, at the time, I thought they were joking, but now that this is sort of, uh, a terroristic method. I'm sort of yeah. like, they were sort of like wanting me to get involved. <laughs> um, and there they was, ter- give you, there was, they didn't
0: give you the checkered scarf to wear to. <laughs>
1: um, I'm <laughs> sure if that. I asked, they would have, <laughs> Here you but get. if I yeah, put that right. on, there's no way I'm getting through that checkpoint. I can guarantee you. <laughs> so, cause they think if you're in that ta- you know, this soldiers, yeah. they're careful. They, and they've been stabbed and killed at that checkpoint. Yeah, just like when you go to the Cave of Machpelah, the tomb of the patriarchs down in Hebron, there is soldiers that they ask you, "Do you have any knives?" Because they've been they've had soldiers stabbed and killed at that checkpoint. Yeah, it's a, it's a real thing, uh, and they have to decide. You know, when I was in there in December, a friend of we drove through Hebron, around a bunch of checkpoints because we wanted to go to Mamre which is where Jewish people can't go in Israel. Well, they can on occasion with like a whole soldier contingent to protect them. But you know, they're pointing their guns at our car. And people are like, Oh, you're making it up. No, I know what it looks like when somebody points a gun at your car. Yeah, because they have they have like 10 seconds. We had a briefing at the media summit, and it says you got 10 seconds to decide whether that's a good guy or bad guy. And so they were trying to decide as we're driving around. So it's a it's a very touchy situation. I, I didn't sure. feel unsafe, but certain people in Israel they would never go there. They if they knew you were there, they would say you're out of your minds. Yeah. So we got through the checkpoint, but you know there was a ramming car ramming in Tel Aviv last night. Yeah. And what happened in Janine? They're passing out candy, celebrating it. Yep. And so it's it's a huge problem. And so at some point, there's going to be a problem. Now, it was also reported today that Hamas is taking credit for some of this stuff, which means there's a direct confrontation now going on in Israel between Hamas and Israel. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sort of escalated. And so the question is, you know, where does it all end? And then you layer on top of that, I would highly recommend a website uh, it's called Alma Israel it's israel-alma.org israel-alma alma.org and it's a it's a website where they sort of track yeah there it is they track what's going on in northern Israel if you scroll down the page a little bit you'll see some of their reports that they do like right there current updates And they talk about things and they'll talk about janine and they'll talk about hezbollah and lebanon and what's going on and they had a recent thing called it which is kind of interesting i don't know if you've had bill salas on your program or not i had him on once yeah okay so you know bill talks about the tents of edom and there's an article that alma wrote recently called the tents of hezbollah Hmm. because they're erecting tents along the border and Iran is heavily influential in this area. They have tunnels um, that they built from Lebanon down into Israel. Same thing you see, you'll find in Janine, you'll find them in Gaza. And I have seen where the Israeli go. soldiers train for these things. So, but at some point, they just kind of got to go, okay, I'm, somebody's going to say enough is enough. Yep. And Hezbollah is going to start launching a bunch of rockets and Israel's going to respond. And the question is, you know, what are they going to be able to do? What are they going to be able to accomplish? Now, a few years ago, the Israeli Air Force commander at one of the security conferences that they have once or twice a year, Herzliya, uh, said, listen, when we go into Lebanon this time, it's going to be shock and awe like you've never seen. And we're going to do in 24 to 72 hours what it took us six weeks to do in the second Lebanon War in 2006. Wow. But, you know, Israel also has limitations. We have to be honest about this. Sure. There's enough rockets in in Lebanon that would completely overwhelm the Iron Dome and other missile systems that they've set up. They're working to develop some. They're working on a laser system, but it's not. I'm going to guess it's at least a year away or more from being operational. It has very limited range. It's cheaper than a you know Iron Dome missile. Runs fifty to one hundred thousand dollars to shoot down one missile. That's why they don't shoot them all down. Uh, they calculate the trajectory and they're like, okay, this one's going to land in an open space, so we're not going to yeah. waste a hundred thousand dollars shooting it down.
0: Sure, absolutely. Well, so um, very volatile
1: situation. So uh, that's sort of the current update. I uh, Melanie Phillips was on BBC. Uh, politics, you can listen to the audio of that. Go to her substack. I think it's melaniephillips.substack.com and get her stuff. Caroline Glick at jns.org. Uh, she writes there regularly. She also has a podcast where she talks about these issues. Amir Vivi at IDSF. So There's plenty of resources. Alma, of course, there's plenty of resources out there. There's a bunch of think tanks in Israel. I have about yeah. 30 bookmarked <coughs> in my one of my browsers that I try to check semi regularly. There's a lot of information out there. Yeah. Very complex situation, but at some point Israel's got to do something. And we know that this is all part of Bible prophecy that there's going to be this rising up against Israel. Um and it it's getting very it's very tense right now is the yeah. way I would describe. Now you can go to Israel and do a tour and everything will be okay because you're going to avoid these areas. Sure. But at some point, it's going to cut loose and there's going to be a war. That's, you just need to understand that that's a possibility.
0: Yeah, And
1: I think Israel can handle itself, but if if the rocket barrage is unleashed from Lebanon like they think it will be, there will be um, thousands of... Israeli soldiers, and thousands of Israelis killed, probably, up in the Galilee region. I mean, I just, I'm sad to say that that's probably the case. There will be many, many more killed in Lebanon. Uh, And we know that this, it seems to be that it's coming. Now, is this part of Ezekiel 38 and 39? I don't think so yet. I think there's more that has to come together for that. And there might be something that happens leading up towards that.
0: I agree. I totally agree. And, And we didn't get to... Um, one thing that I want to show. So again, there's the Alma site. Um, I noticed here and this came out, uh, July 6th, which was today. Um, but if you look down here, I believe that this one right here is an exit tunnel right there. Yeah. Yeah. They have See tunnels
1: that, that they've, they built. So like if the Israeli soldiers come in, they hit the tunnels and exit and come out someplace else.
0: Yeah. So this one right here, check out this news article. Uh, Well, this was the Israeli soldier you mentioned that uh, got killed in the Janine operation. This is a tunnel linked Janine Terror Mosque to kindergarten. That's insane. So that's why when I went to this, um, when I went to to Alma's uh, website, the one that you just sent me to, and I saw this, they're everywhere. And I remember not too long ago, John, how many years ago was it where... Um Israel went into specific areas and they demolished all of these supposedly they caved in all these tunnels. do you remember they found them for miles and oh, miles yeah. long?
1: yeah it They're wasn't all that long there, ago gods with their heads well, that was been three four probably two, three, four years ago right
0: yeah well,
1: like, here's a here's
0: a let me put you full.
1: okay, well, this is go. a a Twitter feed, okay this is just happened today. This is Israeli soldiers, okay? Yep. Somebody filming them. And the guy is saying, oh, you kill children? Kill my child. Kill my child is what wow. he's yelling. Wow. This is, is what the crazy. IDF puts up with. That's crazy. So stop this nonsense, you people, you know, yeah. who think yeah, that ridiculous. this is some kind of Made up Israel thing or something like that. Sorry, I get a little bit exercised about this.
0: No, no, no. I get it. I and I totally understand. So the the question is, and I know you kind of we have to. We'll close up with this too. And I wanted to get this up because there's a there's talk about it, but not enough talk about it. And then the talk you do hear about it, it's all about Israel's fault, and that's always been the case. But at some point there's going to be a tipping point where, like you just mentioned, Israel is going to come under big attack. And uh, yeah. the question is when we don't know, we don't know, but are we, how we're close? I don't know. It,
1: look, um, I think right now there's sort of a dance that goes on between Israel and Iran and the Iranians supported Hezbollah and Palestinian Islam yeah. and Hamas thing like they don't want it to get into a big conflict, but at some point, it's going to be in a big conflict. Sure. Um, sure. And, you know, you can argue about whether Israel's handled this the right way or not. But and, I mean, I'll just share. I, so I, this Palestinian doctor was the keynote speaker one evening at the crisis at the checkpoint conference. Yep. And he's a surgeon and he'd had, I don't know, two or three of his daughters and a niece killed in a wow. you know, rocket explosion which they blame on Israel, but it's not so sure that it wasn't a rocket that Hezbollah shot sure. or that they shot from Gaza and it fell short and hit his house and killed his kids. So, and I have no doubt the guy's telling the truth. I mean, you imagine yep. losing your children. It's a horrible thing. He's moved to Canada. He's a oncologist up in Toronto. And he was speaking. And I, I asked him, I said, so I've been to Israel and I've seen these refugee camps. And they look yeah. awful. Oh, they're horrible. It's the occupation. It's the occupation. I said, well, so what's causing this? It's the occupation. It's the occupation, John. It's the occupation. I said, but I go, I've been in Jordan and I saw s- refugee camps like this. That's that's an Arab country. And they they've been kept in these refugee camps for 70 years. What what's the reason for that? Yeah. Oh, it's the occupation. I said, but I go to I go to Nobles and I see Balata. Oh, terrible place, terrible place. I agree, but I'm looking around Balata and there's a lot of nice apartment buildings and homes right around there. What what's the deal 70 years later? Yeah. Oh, it's the occupation. I said, well, I see these pictures of, of the uh, Yarmouk refugee camp in, in Damascus. And it's like one of the worst places on the planet. That's in Damascus it's been there since the like 1950. Oh, it's the occupation. I said, Israel has no control over that. You're doing it to your own people. Why? Yeah. And he, he didn't really have a response. So of
0: course not. You got to confront oh,
1: sure. this, but you know, a lot of people just, they don't know they're ignorant about it I, or they hit, hate the Israeli people.
0: I uh, have a book and I'm not, I know this is rude of me to do is turn my back on my guest, but I <laughs> right. Um, and the reason why I'm doing that is I've showed this book before. I don't know if you ever read it. Um, and it's called Philistine.
1: Okay. I by a guy.
0: His name is Ramon Bennett. There you go. There it is right there. And this is probably the best book I've ever read in regards to this whole Palestinian issue. This came out in 1995 and as far as I know, this guy's in. This guy's not. We don't know where he's at because there's a bounty on his head. Um, but this guy really outlines the whole issue of the Palestinians, the Middle East. You know what I mean? The Arab uh-huh. mind and this whole construct, new history construct of uh, what that's all about. And I thought he laid it out great, fabulous, fa- fabulous job. And it goes along lock and step with what you just said. This is this is a construct. What you opened up with in the very beginning, this this whole Palestinian issue is a construct. And we he again um, he does a fabulous job at at uh, outlining, and he calls it the Great Deception. That's what Ramon Bennett calls it. And when you read this book, I'll be honest with you, it was a hard read, real hard read, because there are some things in here that that they've done that are really difficult to read. Um, this isn't something you want to read right before bedtime. You know what I mean? Uh, but he just, he he really nails it. And he also talks about how the news media is complicit, too, in all of this. And he takes that all the way back to the 80s, early 80s. And don't we see that now? It's all Israel's fault. It's all Israel's fault. Um, you know, and... You said something in a text to me that kind of got me, and we'll close with this if you don't mind. Sure. Um, it got me just wondering what it was you meant. The recent Israel operation in Janine has exposed severe cracks within Israel.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's it's showing that there's... Maybe there's more of a problem than we really want to admit. Yeah. And, and so, listen, there's you, you have soldiers now because of this. <laughs> I saw a very interesting tweet today. Soldiers are re- re- refusing to do their reserve duty because they disagree with the proposals from the elected majority, democratically elected majority, because they're against democracy. So the democratically elected majority are making proposals, yet they're against democracy democracy sure that sounds familiar it's, it's absurd it's the same thing that we're seeing in our country yeah yep um and so i i think that and so what you what you're seeing is like there was a recent graduates of some soldiers from to into the reserves or into the army or something and they said we're going to refuse to serve and to which somebody said i think thought it was a pretty brilliant tweet was like Oh, so you're refusing to do what you've never really done for us anyway? Well, thanks.
0: <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, it's um, it's very uh, the the situation I think is touchy. Now, look, yeah, I'm saying I would go to Israel tomorrow. Sure if I could, um, because I, I love the place, I learn a lot when I go there, and I love the people. But it's, it's a very volatile situation in the world. Yeah, and when you when you translate it over, just, I, I don't think we want to go down the road too much. But we look at what's going on in France right now, Netherlands, yeah. and that type of thing. And it's, it's like, all these people were sent in like six, seven, eight years ago. That's right. Yeah. And they've, those reached,
0: migrations.
1: they've yep. And I've got I've I've had graphics to show the flow of people.
0: Yep.
1: And there was a NATO commander at the time, uh, Breedlove, I think was his name. He testified before Congress. He goes, It's like what happened in Syria, they like bombed the Sunni areas. Um they bombed the Sunni areas. Like to get those people on the road and make them somebody else's problem, and this is what yeah. this is what Russia did. I know there are people who are going to disagree. They're going to hate me for saying this. Russia and Syria bombed the Sunni areas to get rid of the Sunni issue and make it somebody else's problem. And so millions of people were put on the road, and a lot of them ended up in Europe. Yep. And now we're seeing the fruits of that. We're yeah. going to see the fruits of that with regard to our own Southern border. And part of this, I think, is certain elements in our country and in France, whoever they're tied into, their goal is to create absolute chaos and bring in Vermont. a very controlling government. That's yeah. their goal. Now, the problem is they may end up... uh going too far and not being able to control what they've unleashed. So there's people I follow. There's a guy named Michael Yon, who's uh, down on the border in Bergwam. Yep.
0: Yeah. I showed the article from him. He's gone into those camps.
1: That's right. And they're yeah. seeing people they've seen from China. They're seeing people yep. from Russia. They're seeing people That's from right. Islamic countries. And they're coming into America by the by the thousands. Yeah, and they're usually military age males. Yep, and um, Michael Jan said you can multiply by many times what's going on in France. What he fears is going to happen in America in the not too distant future. So people need to be aware of this. This is this is all part of this end-time thing to sort of yeah. set up this global global government government of control. And so the, the that's sort of where I say like the four horsemen you know are are they actually in operation right now right you know i'm not going to say you you can look at this and uh make your case make your case and i but i think we need to talk about it in those terms yeah because i think we're at that that point in human history
0: no i totally agree I, i and again i um you know i've got my thoughts about how this This plays out, but I'll say this much, and I've said it before a million times. We're looking at things with pre-rapture goggles. And oftentimes when we try to think about how things are going to be on the flip side of the rapture, it's all good, on the flip side of the rapture, we we oftentimes think with our mind now, and I'll tell you this much, one second after the rapture of the church, everything's going to change. Yeah. everything's going to be different. It's not going to look the same way it does now. Right. And and we need to remember that because like you you said it in part one, I don't remember if you said it now, but nobody called 2020. Nobody yeah. did. No one saw that coming. And so we could sit here and we could show charts and everything, which is fine, right? We're, we're reading scripture. We're trying to make things out. Um, You know, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, we know that um, knowledge shall increase. My my understanding is that um, knowledge in regards to Bible prophecy in the end times, scripturally speaking, is going to increase because we're going to be living in the days spoken of by the prophets, the Book of Revelation, and so, um, and you know what what Jesus said. So
1: yeah, it's interesting I, I, that book you pointed out by uh, Ramon Bennett, the Philistine. Yeah. He um, that book was published first published on May first, nineteen ninety five, which was exactly about five days before I went to Jordan and Israel on my first trip to the Middle East. So, yeah, a, have you read it?
0: I would. I've not. Read, I've
1: not. I'll have to read. I would.
0: It. You know what? If you get a chance, read it. If you do, I mean, I know you're busy. It's not like you don't have other things to do. If you do get a chance, read it. I'd be curious what your take is. But uh, I thought it was. It's not an easy read. I'll tell you that much because he really goes into a lot of detail when it comes to these terror cells and uh it's it's not easy but i thought it was well, a really he good was book.
1: He, there's one of the reviewers i see here like says this is the first review that pops up from the 2007 says this is the source and he said that the next major world war would be a middle eastern centered and pointed to this author about how this was going to play out so That seems to kind of line up with our understanding of the Bible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had contacted him once when I bought the book after I read it, because I had a couple questions. Um, I did get a response because uh, I I noticed that within the church community, there was a lot of support for this whole Palestinian cause. You know that. You've spoken about that in the past. You mentioned Christ at the Checkpoint. And uh, his response was pretty telling, too, of how uh, how this has even seeped and infiltrated into the church and even mainstream evangelicals. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So anyways, listen, uh, John is always, I don't ever want to end these without sharing Jesus Christ. And if you don't mind doing that for us and then sure. closing us out in prayer. You
1: know, listen, this is the, I think uh, as we study Bible prophecy and everything and we, we, we feel that there's a sense of urgency and people need to know that the only way, only solution to this is Jesus Christ. And and that's, that's on a a global basis, but that's in your personal life that we need a savior to bring us in the right relationship with God. And that was, is only going to be through Jesus Christ. And so we, we look forward to this day where there's this great understanding and reconciliation of this, every tongue, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord who came to earth, born of a virgin, lived the perfect life, was crucified for our sins, buried, rose again on the third day, offers a free gift of salvation. If you believe in the work that he did, it's sufficient for your salvation. So it's really at the point where you need to make that decision for yourself.
0: Do you want to close this out in prayer, if you don't mind, John? Sure.
1: Lord, thanks for the time that we have to spend together. Thanks for all the instruction that you gave us. We pray that you'll uh, help us to take these things to heart, that we'll discuss them openly, weigh them in the balance, and see how these events are going to unfold, that you've given us the gift of uh, prophecy so we can watch these things unfold and warn others around us about what's coming. Bless us. Uh, And the work that we do, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Family, listen, um, I want to encourage everybody, because John just mentioned it in prayer too. I think the most important thing that we could do as the body of Christ right now is be sharing Jesus Christ. Uh, Because, uh, again, I I keep saying this, I'm harping on it, we're living on borrowed time. And John doesn't know, I don't know when things are going to go south real quick, and we know that that could happen overnight, as we saw how things changed in 2020, just literally overnight for everybody. So I want to just encourage people, um, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you can. Um, I've got, you know what, I haven't done this in a while, I've got these little cards, They're, they're gospel cards, they're tiny business size, and they're on my website, you can drop those at restaurants, coffee shops, leave them somewhere, and you never know if somebody might pick that up, and um surrender to jesus but anyways we need to be uh busy doing that family hope you guys were blessed i really really do get into the word of god and get the word of god into you i'm not going to stop saying that i'm not going to tire of saying that john i love you brother this was great. so much problem you bet until the next time family remember to keep looking up all right see you